Dr. Uh, Marianne, she just is amazing and um, just such a support. And the work that she's doing in step-by-step is just been amazing because there's so much sacrifice in this work. There's so much that has been poured into this work. There's so much, um, you know, intent that has been put in to make sure that something can be delivered at a quality level for all of our kids and communities near and far. So I just don't want to, you know, negate the opportunity to be able to um, edify her in the work that she does. The same person you see in these 15 minutes that is passionate about the program is the same person who assess the kids, tutors, teaches she teaches tutors, teachers, teachers, just all that's the same person, right? It's the same love and, and, and passion. And the thing that you mentioned at the beginning that you empower um, and, and encourage, I think is so powerful because I think it speaks to who you are as a person and that that's the part that people should connect to. And that's the part that people should realize needs the sponsoring and the support to continue this work in the world. So continue to do an amazing job. I um, stand for you and I just, you know, support you as much as, you know, as we can. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dyslexia Solutions podcast channel, where I interview parents of dyslexic children or teachers of dyslexic children. I also interview dyslexic adults, and sometimes I just share from my heart. Our purpose is threefold, to empower you with information, to encourage you that you're not alone, and we're always seeking sponsors to help keep our message forward. Dyslexia impacts one in five children, and it needs to be addressed now. Hi, I'm Dr. Marianne Cintron, founder of Step-by-Step Dyslexia Solutions. We are a 501c3 nonprofit charitable organization, and I equip heroic teachers with an effective literacy program to remediate dyslexia so we can close the achievement gap, stop that school-to-prison pipeline, and prepare kids for success in school and in life. I'm also a published author of A Message of Hope, How Music Enhances Reading for Dyslexic Children. And I'm an app developer of the famous music and spelling app called Dunking Dyslexia. Yes, yeah, so four C's of embracing dyslexia. I'm Dr. Marianne Cintron, and I'm founder of Step by Step Dyslexia Solutions. So, hope you have your phonogram cards ready, and you've had an opportunity to look through them. And this boot camp is going to really explain a lot a bit a lot about the phonogram cards. For those of you who aren't familiar with me, I'm um, president of, of Step by Step Dyslexia Solutions. I didn't learn about dyslexia until I was earning my second master's at um, the university. And I think it's so important to start training teachers how to work with dyslexic children, how to recognize dyslexia, and what we need to do to help them. I've been an educator for 21 years and a classroom teacher for 10. Um, I want to introduce you to my family. Um, My husband and I have been married for 31 years. 
we have three uh, adult kids, and Laura got married last year at the beautiful uh, Temecula Winery in California, and she married Michael, who has a, now he's eight, an eight-year-old uh, son, so we have a grandson, and we have a grand puppy, <laughs> who we just happen to be babysitting right now, while the kids go skiing in Utah. So welcome, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with me today. So the first thing I want to talk about is why is what what's the significance of phonogram cards? How and what is the process to teach them? When and how do we know what to teach first? So the significance of the phonogram cards, according to the research, is that it's the first step to helping the child with the sound symbol relationship. And when we share with the student what the letter name is, uh, the letter name, the, the sound, and then a picture associated with it, that's gonna, that picture is going to help them in their brain. And um, it's just one of the processes that has been very successful. So it's very interesting to know we weren't born with a reading brain like we were to see and hear, but we were born with the parts of the brain that can, be, can work together. And it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution when the printing press was created that suddenly dyslexic people started realizing something was wrong because they weren't able to read. But dyslexic people have average to high intelligence. We have a lot of inventors, engineers, and people who are dyslexic. So the process to teach them is going to vary depending on the reading program you're using. So if you're a parent who just wants to have phonogram cards and drill your child with the cards, that's one thing, the order is up to you. But if you're gonna be teaching with a program, you wanna follow the, the order that that program is recommending. The research shows that students learn different sounds at different rates. And so some programs will bring those sounds in just to learn the, the, the consonants. The research shows that students can learn A first, and then when they're learning the other vowels, they should learn E last because they want to separate I and the E. That's pretty much across the board that I've seen. And then in my reading program, uh, because we don't just introduce one sound a session and review it the next session, which many programs do, the students in, our, in my step-by-step -step reading are learning a lot of different sounds. There's, because it was written with a dyslexic child in mind. A lot of the multisensory reading programs are intended for whole class instruction or at least small group. And when you work with dyslexics, you have to work with them one-on-one. -on -one. And so with my curriculum, it's very instructive and there's a lot of visual discrimination that addresses the challenges that the child has. And so my phonograms are introduced in the order that they're gonna be introduced to them in my reading program. So how, in, how do we know what to teach first? My phonograms all have numbers and consonants um, are one, the vowels are two. So we review the, the vowels and the consonants for the first couple weeks with the student. And when we first, um, they should know the, they should know those letter names and sounds. And I'm going to show you how we do that. 
we don't have pictures associated with the consonants because they should know them when they go into um, second grade. And my program is basically geared for second graders who know their letter names and sounds. And um, when you introduce new sounds, you will not have enough time if you keep all the consonants in there. So what happened, there's a graduation. First, you're saying the letter name, the picture, and then the sound. And then you're graduating to eventually just say the letter name and the letter sound. And then you graduate the student to only be able to say the letter sound where it's becoming automatic. And then you're gonna be able to graduate that card into its own pile. And you'll want, you will wanna bring it back and back once in a while, but you can graduate those consonants into a pile where they're not having to go over them all the time. So let me grab something here. I forgot to show, I have um, my key concept cards are put in a binder and I put them in plastic so that I can preserve them. And it's really cool because the, the pictures have a number on them associated to the cards, which have that number on them. So you're able to flip through them pretty easily. When you have students who are learning the same thing at the same pace, it's really nice because you'll have your planner, the lesson plan will be different for each individual child, but you can share the same picture and they will all have their own card because they're gonna be graduating the cards at different paces. So I do wanna mention what the formal definition of dyslexia is. According to the International Dyslexia Association, it's characterized by difficulties with accurate and or fluent word recognition, and by poor spelling and decoding abilities. And then I like to more easily state this by saying, dyslexia is neurological in origin. So that means the brain can be retrained. And it's more of a learning difference than it is a disability. And you'll hear that a lot. And it affects a student's reading, writing, and speaking. So because of that, we want the child speaking a lot. They might think it's really boring or they might think it's even babyish, but we have to share when they're speaking and manipulating, they're uh, creating those neural pathways in their brain and getting those stronger and stronger. So um, the, the first thing I wanna share is, again, teach it with a reading program and teach it in the order numbered by that program. This is one of our star tutors. <laughs> Teresa started with Cruz and he didn't even know his letter names and sounds going into second grade. So this is something he should have learned in kinder and reinforced in first grade. So Teresa trained him in another program that I trained her in to teach letter names and sounds. And then when Cruz started second grade, he was ready to start our reading program and after one year, he was reading at a fourth grade level and comprehending at a fifth grade level based on two nationally normed tests that I use for pre and post tests. And that's the statistic we're finding because with this reading program, kids will use music and they'll make a significant improvement. But if they choose not to use the music, 
they're still going to make a significant improvement. And that was some of the data I collected in my doctorate research. So um, the first step of my reading program is the phonogram cards. And so what we do is we show the card with the key concept picture. And I have that right here. And we have the students say uh, the letter name, the picture, and then the sound. So the student would say A, X, A. If you want to unmute yourself, you could say that with me. A, X, A. -A. Okay, good. So then after they start, um, maybe after two days, you can get rid of the picture. Maybe after the first day, you can put the picture aside. They still would say A, 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 A. They don't always have to say the picture. Um, the reason the picture comes in handy is if a student gets stuck when they're actually writing, you could say, remember the picture of that X? What letter goes with that picture? So you're making that association of the picture and the X. And different programs will have different pictures for their letters. I try to do as many with the Orton-Gillingham model, but I've learned, um, I've learned a lot since I've been in my practicum. But um, I wanna show you what we do with the step-by-step -step reading. So a lot of kids going into second grade, they've already seen CH and TCH. And I know Cruz was really excited to learn why is that T there? So I like teaching the CH with the TCH because the only difference is the T protects a short vowel sound in a one syllable word. So I like to show those together because they love to see, they know CH, they know CH from CHIP. But then put next to it, CH, TCH is still CH. So you'll notice this is card number four so this is gonna come up pretty much in the beginning. And in the reading program, they're gonna see uh, letters without the T and letters with the T and it's presented side by side. So they'll have a little bit of visual discrimination. And the other interesting thing is kids enjoy Halloween. And so they always say the, the witch, you know, that witch has a T in it, or some of them are getting watches. And watch has a T in it. So they really are curious, why is that T there? And just so you know, there's a lot of review. So just because you're introducing it right now and you're starting to fire those synapses in their brain, there will be repetition. And with dyslexic children, there's a lot of repetition. So what I like to teach also in the beginning, so even though this is numbered 10, which means it would be later on, I like bringing it in early as some of the um, earlier teaching. And because the ED sound has, the ED has three sounds. And what I think is so interesting is to show them, it says D, it says Ed, and it says T. Because when kids are writing, they'll put a T instead of the ED. So when you start teaching some of the, um, when they start reading in, the, in my reading program, they'll see the word, you can actually associate this phonogram card with where it is in the program. And you can have them read on the screen the columns of words that sound like duh, the column of words that sound like tuh, 
and the column of words that sound like ed. And the same with the um, plural, the S and the ES. We teach that sometimes the S sounds like Z and we say boxes or noses, but then there's nose, you know, so it's more of a soft S. And then special cards, we teach these a little bit later, the ING and um, the, the A, which is um, a prefix for about around, we'll introduce that later. And sometimes if you work with students for about six weeks, you may not get to some of the cards and that's okay. But I wanna show you that I have 101 cards. I'm showing, and they are, they're numbered one through 19. So in my reading program, I actually talk about the CE, CI, CY, and the GE, GI, GY. I talk about that um, up front because kids need to know the hard and soft sounds right away. In other reading programs, it might be like a level two, which is just around the corner. So I don't see any harm with teaching them up front. First, I'll say, um, let, me, let me show you what I do. So we have this card and I'll show the C-E-C-I-C-Y. Well, actually, so there's a couple ways I have them do this. And actually I let them, you know, I use their information for guidance. So this is, the first thing I want them to learn is C is soft with E-I-N-Y. So at first, you can just say, s, 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 and that they learn that it's soft with E, I, and Y. Then you could show them, se is for scent, si for city, si for cycle. And some of them, maybe the older ones, will start saying, se, si, si. And um, we would say, C-E. Sent, so this is the process, C-E, sent, se, C-I, city, si, C-Y, cycle, si. So if you imagine this was three different cards, you, I, would, I introduced this a couple different times. The first time to show that it's the soft sound. And this is supported with many lessons that we have. And I'm renumbering those, I'm renaming those to be, okay, um, my mini lessons are going to be called grammar tricks. So the grammar tricks are going to show C-E-C-I-C-Y and then with the G. So the first thought, C has a hard and a soft sound. Secondly, these are um, se and put it with a scent, teach them individually. And you could get a post-it note and just cover these one at a time. Some students are ready to learn all of them at a time. So you could show the three pictures, this with one picture, that with another picture, and that with the third picture. And, um, and then eventually the pictures go away anyway. So the student will say, se, si, si. If they forget this, remind them it's cycle. So that, and then it's the same with the GE. We want them to know a soft and a hard sound. First of all, with the Orton-Gillingham model, 
they want the student to just say j. Even if they see all this, they just say j. They want them to realize that these vowels after them say j. But then you got to put it with a picture. So put a post-it note over the bottom ones. Show the G is gem, J. The J is, let me get the card out to show you. Gingerbread. We have gingerbread for G-I. And we have Jim for G-Y. So after they see those pictures, maybe two days, G-E-G-I-G-Y, J-J-J-I. And, you know, I'm not really rigid if the student always has to say the letter names and sounds for this. You know, see what, where the student is struggling and then just reinforce what the student needs help with. Because eventually they're just going to say J-J-J-I. And what are J J J? And what we want is the automaticity. So there are exceptions to the rule, like this could be geyser, right? Where it's a hard G. And you're going to find this could be give. So there are those exceptions to the rule, but we don't talk about them up front. We we address those later on. Does that make sense? Thumbs up with that. Okay. So. How I've designed these are the whites are the consonants, not only the A through Z, but when we have consonant teams, they're also white. Um, the, well, actually, I take that back. In other programs, they might also be white. With mine, I, I use the rainbow colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, because I really wanted to even sort consonant teams separate from different sounds that we're going to talk about. But the green will always be vowels, whether they're A, I, O, U, and Y. And then the vowel teams will be green. And then we're going to talk about our controlled vowels, which will be a different color. And we're going to talk about suffixes. And then there are the tricky sounds, which are the floss words, wild old words, and open syllable words. I was never taught this as an early, uh, when I worked with a reading program very similar to mine, I just, I just taught the sounds and the students were making great progress. But what I've been learning through another program that I've been trained in and with Orton Gillingham, there are different ways to teach the tricky sounds and I'm gonna share that with you. So I've again coordinated my um, cards to be red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple. And someone even asked me, what if the kids are colorblind and they don't like the colors? Well, the teacher can print these out with black and white. That is okay. We do like to have at least the vowel a different color. So first I wanna talk about the phonogram cards. Um, it's very interesting to me that the G, E, the G and the C, change their sound when they have E, I, and Y. So the K has a special relationship with E, I, and Y. We only have K with E, I, and Y. So that's one of these cards. And again, I'll show the key concept card with it. And then if you wanna um, take out your own phonogram cards, go ahead and separate the three 
that have um, the KE, the KI, the KY. And remember, this is further explained in the in mini lesson one, or it's called the grammar, the grammar um, tricks, number set one. So the G, um, and how we teach it is that the E, the I, and the Y are like stones. And the G, the, the G and the E are, are shot by a slingshot. And though, so they're hard, tough guys, but then the E, I, and the Y hit, hit them with a stone. And so instead of being G or K, they become J. And so the, it, it gets them. So now look, so now we have a soft G-E-G-I-G-Y, right? Well, that's when I think we need to introduce J. Why not? Kids know the J sound. And I'll even have students call this G. And the G is with G-A-G-O-G-U. It's the opposite, the, the rest of those vowels. So I like to introduce J. And then I also like to bring in my DGE because this talks about the protector of a short vowel in a one syllable word. So you could put a rubber band around these cards that are labeled three, three dash whatever. And I wanna show you the pictures that I use. So three, three is a plate of fudge. And everybody can relate to fudge. We all love candy. So here is DGE. They know the F and they know the short U sound is a. Uh. And then whenever you have a short sound of U, um, you want it, you can't just put GE, you have to protect it with a D. So they're gonna learn that the D is a protector for short vowel, short for short value or short vowels and one syllable word. And then I like to show them the next picture of a judge because it shows the J starts the beginning of a word in most words, at least starting off. And then DGE is at the end of a word. So if they could remember J at the beginning, DGE at the end, that's gonna help them remember this. And there, again, there's a lot of repetition with the phonogram cards. So do you guys want to practice a little bit with the cards? Would you like a little bit of practice? Okay, we'll move on then. And um, so in the program that you would select to use your phonogram cards, see the order that the creator of your program is using. And, and that's why, um, let me see. And I talk about the slingshot and the stones. So then we have the J. I like to teach the J and the DGE together. And here's just a little bit more repetition of that. Isn't, I just think English is just fascinating when you see the E, I, and the Y in those three areas. And kids will learn a little riddle or just K-E, K-I, K-Y. So when they're putting the wrong letter, they're putting a, a C, you're looking, is it followed by an E, I, or Y? And, it, you know, they'll change it. So um, after reviewing the word, then you're looking for the automaticity, and then that card can be set aside for a while. 
So when and how to how to know what to teach first, follow the sequence that's in these. So I want to share this story about a young girl who asked her mother, why do you always cut off the ends of the roast? And the mother said, I don't know, my mom used to always do it. And she said, well, I'm going to ask my mom. And she asked her mother, mom, why do you always cut off the ends of your pot roast? And the mother said, I don't know. I always saw my mom do it. So she asked her mother. So now we're three generations above. Mom, how can you always cut the ends off your pot roast? And the mom said, or the great grandma said, my pot was too small. So there you have it. Um, patterns that we repeat because other people do them. I know we're talking about research-based, but you also need to do what makes sense to you. So if you want to move ED up further on the line to teach your child, it's okay. You're not going to injure them for life. If you want to teach J with DGE, it's okay. I wanted to share that I have a comparison list and DGE is actually taught in level five of another program in Orton Gillingham. It's taught as a level four um, and the levels are different because they group things, how to teach them. But so some people will teach them at a level five. Some will teach at a level four. If you're teaching a child, who just struggles with that concept, it's okay to save the DGE for later. But what I'm saying, I like to introduce it. And sometimes the kids take off with it. But also there will be repetition. So one of the other um, sounds that we they want to teach up front, I didn't know this was so important because I used to teach ing, ang, ong is word families or welded sounds and ink, ink, onk, onk as welded sounds. But the Orton-Gillingham model is to get away from the welded sound word. And we want to teach NK, ink, as a smush sound. And NG is ng as a smushed sound. So if you were to raise your hands for this, the, to sound out the word song, it would be s or s-ah, Ng. It's two letters making one sound. And in my program, we use uh, sound circles. So that's when those circles would be next to each other because it's two letters making one sound. So I just like to use that peanut butter and jelly analogy because when I went to element, elementary school, we would have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on white bread. And my mom would always throw an apple or an orange in our lunch. And man, that apple or orange would smush that right white bread. And we'd have such a squished PB&J sandwich. And that just was the image I got when I saw ng and unk. So, and we do not have any um, UNGs or any UNK. I'm sorry, sorry. We don't have ENG or ENK. So the I would, will sound like ink. But the student learns it's I-N-K. There's no E and there's no E for N-G. So then another, so you can move those N-Gs and the N-Ks up to the front of what you teach the student. 
because that is actually um, encouraged with other programs I've been trained in, as well as the um, Orton-Gillingham model. Then something else that I never got trained in until Orton-Gillingham and this other program was how to teach open syllable words. So an open syllable is a syllable that ends with a vowel. So this is called, so he fly. And the value of this is to teach the child, it's a syllable type. We have six syllable types and one of them is this, so he fly. It just um, ends with a vowel and that's really all there is to it. Um, but students need to learn it. And then we have our floss rules. Now I covered by A because this is gonna come in later at a more advanced time. But I want to do it like this. These are called floss rules. So these are not a syllable type. They're just a, a spelling rule that when you have a short, you have a, a short vowel with a one syllable word, it's going to end in a double F or a double L and a double S. And I don't have double Z because we don't have very many of those. But like the word buzz would have a double Z. So when the student's writing a word and they only put one S, we'll say, remember the floss rule, double S, okay? So that's, that's important to teach towards the beginning, not necessarily the first even three or four weeks, but maybe week five, you want them to be introduced to the floss rule. So I keep that up front with my, the ED has three sounds rule. And then my, um, my So He Fly, I keep those ones up front. And then I have my um, NG, let me see what I have here. So I have the NG, but I already put the vowels with it. And I do have the key concept cards, the pictures that go with each one of these. And then, and the reason it's purple is I was teaching these closer towards the end, but go ahead and move them up front because kids need to know the NG sound. And then also um, the ink, ink, and onk. I have these numbered seven, so they're kind of close up front, but you want to teach these pretty much up front. I would say within maybe in the third week, it depends on how many times you're seeing the student. So you're gonna go at the pacing. If you, if you saw the student four or even five days a week, you would bring this up in maybe the second or third week. If you're seeing the student twice a week, maybe three days, it's gonna take a little longer. And you're always gonna to go to the um, mini lesson or the grammar tricks.